Have you ever met a complainer before? Maybe a few of you have. You know the person I'm talking about, the one who, no matter how much money you spend on a gift, it's just not enough. No matter what kind of color it is, it's just not the right color, even though everything on their gift list said, this is what I want. No matter what you do for them, it's just not enough. They'll find some reason, some way to complain about what you have. I met a lady last year who was 104 years old. Now, this lady, when we moved to Illinois, she was still moving on her own, making it to church, walking across the street uh, for church every Sunday. But as the year went on, her hip started to deteriorate. She had a hip replacement, and she was outlasting this replacement. And I went to visit her, and she was in a large amount of pain, more than I can imagine. And never once did she ever complain. And I said, Alverna, do you ever complain? And she said, well, I used to complain. But then I got tired of hearing myself complain, so I stopped. (laughs) If only there were more Alvernas in this world. But this morning, we're going to be looking at a group of people who like to complain, who complained again and again and again. A people who decided that enough is enough. And finally, they decided we're going to let someone know that we've had it. So come with me as we walk through their complaints as we walk through their correction and as we walk through their confession. Please stand and follow along as I read Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. It's Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. Reading in Jesus' name. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord, that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a standard, And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Father God, these are your words. Your word is truth. Lord, we pray that you would sanctify us in your truth here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our text starts out with the Israelites picking up their camp and setting out once more for this promised land, this land that Moses had told them they would be going to, a land of milk and honey. They begin their journey, but not long after they begin their journey, they have to take the long way around. They're told, you can't go through Edom, and they start to complain. You see, Edom was the most direct route. From point A to point B, they wanted to go straight through. They asked the king, they said, king, can we go through? The king says, no, but they want to go on the shortest route. You see, they've been on this journey for 39 years already. They want to already get there. But the king shows up and says, no. They offer to pay for whatever food, whatever supplies they take from the land. The king still says, no. Moses says, no. God says, no. And the people start to complain. So you look at verses 1 through 3, you find out that these Israelites have just come off of a victory. 
They're on cloud nine. They're feeling invincible. No one can defeat us. We just destroyed the Canaanites. And now this little Edom army wants to stand against us. Let us take them. Let me at them. Let us just go through and get to where we want to go. But all these people said no. And so they continue to complain again. They must take the long way around. A long journey gets that much longer. And they speak out against God and they speak out against Moses. As you see in verse 5, they say, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food, there is no water. We loathe this miserable food that we have. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to have us die in the wilderness? Now, I don't know if they suffered short-term memory loss, but they forgot what Egypt was like. Do you remember what Egypt was like for the Israelites? It was a time of bitter slavery. It wasn't a vacation. It wasn't home for them. They cried for years and years and years that God would deliver them. They cried for decade after decade after decade. For 400 years, they are saying, God, please get us out of this place. And now God is finally doing it. And what are they saying? God, please, let us just go back. We liked it back there. It wasn't so bad after all. We're tired of this food. There's no water. And whatever it is that you're giving us, we don't want any more of it. They're tired of God's provision for them. For 40 years, God had provided manna for them. Every day, he provided food for them. They had argued and rebelled against Moses. They wanted a different leader. They didn't want him anymore. They wanted one that they could twist and manipulate, one that would do what they wanted to do. They wanted him killed so they could go their own way. And yet each time, they come back to Moses, and Moses intercedes for these people that want him gone. And each time, the Lord provides for their needs. They always had enough food. They always had enough water. And for all the miles that they walked, their sandals never even wore out. Forty years of the same pair of sandals. It's miraculous. Mine maybe last a year, maybe a season, if that. But what was it going to take for these Israelites to trust the Lord? For 40 years, he had been miraculously providing for all of their needs, every single one of them. But these lessons didn't stick with them. Even after watching all of Pharaoh's army drown in the Red Sea, after they're stuck between a rock and a hard spot, this Red Sea, this big sea that they can't go through, they say, now we're stuck. We should have just stayed in Egypt. And God separates the Red Sea and they walk across on dry ground. And as soon as they finish walking across, the waters collapse over on the whole Egyptian army and it is destroyed. And do you know how long it takes for them to start complaining after just experiencing this? Three days. Three days later, they're already complaining, saying, we don't have any food. And just a month and a half after that, they're saying, we want to go back to Egypt. It wasn't so bad after all. Even after all that God had done for these people, and they say, we want to be slaves again. Can you imagine what that sounds like in the ears of God, who had done all of these things for his people? We shake our heads and we scoff. But when we translate this account into our own lives, and we look and we see what God has done for us. And don't we see ourselves acting just like these Israelites? They start out on a journey to go to this promised land where God is taking them. And you and I are people who want what we want 
and we want it now, right? Uh, just yesterday, two days ago, I was with some friends, and we were trying to figure out how does this microwave work. You push the time, and you wait, and it says, enter time. And so you push it again, and you wait, and it says, enter time. So you keep pushing it again, and we think this microwave is broken. All we need to do is push the time and say, enter time, wait a second, and it starts cooking. But we thought it was broken because it didn't start instantly. We want what we want, and we want it now. How many times in our lives do we say, God, I'm going through this trial right now. Please just make it end. Get me out of this. I just want you to come and intercede on my behalf right now. End this time of suffering, this journey, whatever it is. And we're not willing to take the detours that God gives us. The detours that God is using to perfect us in faith. The detours that God is using to strengthen our trust in him. When we complain so often that we neglect to see the blessings of the detours that God has along the way. God says, keep looking at me and keep trusting in me. These Israelites had received the same food from God for 40 years, and frankly, they were sick of it. If they never saw another piece of manna, it would be a good day for them. But God still continued to give them this food and continued to provide for them. You know, you and I also receive food from God. It doesn't look like manna today. We do receive physical food from God as well, which he strengthens us with. But spiritual food, God comes to us and he feeds us with spiritual food. And if we're honest with ourselves, don't we sometimes get sick of the ways that God feeds us? Don't we sometimes say, I'm going to go to church. I know what the pastor is going to talk about. I've heard everything that they say in Sunday school. I know it. I know it. I know it. Can't we just do something differently? We come to church and we say, if the music were just different, if there were more exciting lessons, if there were better teachers, better preachers, more people my age, more kids, if we had all of these things, it'd be more fun to go to church. It'd be more fun. I'd be more ready to receive the food that God has for us. But what, how does God feed us? Through his word. We look at the text, we see it's black and white, and we say it's bland. There's no spices to it. There's nothing really exciting about it. You mean I have to read God's word myself? That's not fun. And yet this is the way that God feeds us through his word. How often do we complain about the ways that he has revealed us? We have his word in our hands and he has revealed himself to it through which he creates faith, through which he gives us the assurance of forgiveness, through which he reveals himself to us. And yet we complain about it. Rather than focusing on what God has already blessed us with, focus on what he has done for us and be thankful. See, the Israelites complained and God heard their complaints and he disciplined his people. As we look at this text, at first glance, it seems a little extreme, doesn't it? We see the Israelites complain and God sends snakes to teach them a lesson. After all, it wasn't like they set up a coup or a rebellion, was it? They just said a few words. Everybody complains, right? Why did God need to punish these complainers? They're just voicing their frustration. Has anybody here ever voiced their frustration? I know I have. I'd be listing both of my hands right now. But my other one's in my pocket and it feels good there, so I'll keep it there for now. But they're voicing their frustrations against God and against Moses. 
We're coming at this story a little late in the game. It's towards the end of their wandering in the wilderness. So let me suffice it to say that they complained a few times before that. And that's an understatement. They loved to complain. They complained about not having water, not having food, not having meat. They complained about having too much meat. They complained about their leader. They complained about being stuck in the wilderness. Again, they complained about not going back to Egypt where they wanted to be. And every time they complained, God acted. In some instances, he gave them what they asked for. Say, God, I just want a little bit of meat. I'm tired of this. And so God sends them meat until scripture says it's coming out of their ears and they get sick of it. They don't have any water, and so God says, Moses, strike this rock, and water comes out. He's providing for their needs. And there are other times when rather than giving them what they want, the Lord gives them what they need. He gives them correction. They've been warned again and again and again what happens when you go against the Lord. And like I already said, this is at the end of their wandering in the wilderness, and yet they have one more time to be corrected. God had given them warning after warning. From leprosy to Miriam, who said, Aaron, what are we doing listening to Moses? He's our younger brother. If it wasn't for you and me, he wouldn't be here right now. He should be listening to us. And God gives Miriam leprosy for saying those things. He takes it away, but God taught Miriam a lesson. Listen to Moses. He is the one who I have chosen to lead you. Or for people who have led rebellions against Moses, there's a group of people that said, hey, we're tired of serving Moses. If you want to follow us and come our way, come over here. And Moses said, okay, tomorrow morning we'll find out who the Lord chooses to lead these people. For those who want to follow these guys, go over here. For those who want to follow me, come here. So the morning came and there's a whole bunch of people standing over here. And do you know what happened? Scripture says the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the people, their families, all of their belongings whole. Do you think God is sending a message? Listen to Moses. And yet here they are again, however many years later, forgetting this message, saying we're tired of Moses. We're tired of God. And God sends them judgment again. Verse 6 says, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. The consequence for their actions was death for those who were bitten by the snakes. And as our text says, many people of Israel died. It seems extreme. Death in exchange for just voicing your complaints, for just grumbling, right? Isn't that a bit harsh, God? But look again at the complaints. Who are the complaints directed against? They're speaking against God, and they're speaking against his representative on earth, Moses. God has called us to honor and to obey him, to love him, and to serve him. God has also called us to honor and obey and serve those who he has put over us. You see, this was direct disobedience to God's word. We have another word for that. It's called sin. And the wages of sin, the consequences of sin, are death. There's no way around it. In this story, we see today the consequences of sin made as clear as day. These people complained, God said, serpents, serpents bite people, and they die. The consequences of sin is still the same today. It's death. Whether it's physical death or spiritual death, all sin is leading to this point. It's leading to death, whether we realize it or not. And we can argue all we want about how unfair this seems, but the rules have already been set and we don't get to change them. But thankfully, 
the people realized their error, and they did something about it. In verse 7, we read this, The people came to Moses, and they said, We have sinned, because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord, that he may remove the serpents from us. Now, these Israelites may not have been fast learners. They may not have remembered all of the lessons, but they weren't stupid either. They realized that these fiery serpents were sent to judge them. And when they were faced with the reality that their sin leads to death, they decided to turn from their sin and to turn to the only one who could do something about it, to turn to God. But this is before Christ came and provided that way where we can go directly to the Father. So they needed to go to his mediator. They needed to go to the priest instead. So do you know where they have to go if they want to bring their requests to God? The same person who they're just saying, we don't want you anymore. We don't need you anymore. We want to follow ourselves. And now they're coming to Moses with their tails between their legs saying, Moses, please, one more time, go to the Lord and ask him to take these serpents away from us. And what does Moses do? Does he sit back and say, now I'm going to teach you guys a lesson. This is the third time you've done this. You guys need to learn. I'm not doing this anymore. We've been down this road before. Does he wait for more people to be bitten? He doesn't. But Moses is a faithful priest who goes to the Lord on behalf of these people who have confessed their sin to him and to the Lord. And Moses goes to the Lord right away. The people acknowledged their sin. They knew what they needed to do. They saw where it was leading them and they repented. They turned from their rebellion to humble submission to God's leadership instead. When you and I are faced with our sin, what's our reaction? What do we do? Do we try to sweep it under the rug and say, no one's going to notice this? No one sees this? Do we try to say, I'm the innocent one here. I'm the victim. If you were in my shoes, you would have done the same thing. Or do we humbly acknowledge that our sin is leading us to death and come to the only one who can deliver us from this? Do we come to the mediator of Jesus Christ, our advocate with the Father, who says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Come to me. And as we come to Christ and confess our sins, we find grace, we find healing, and we find forgiveness that we so desperately need. There's an interesting thing that happens in this story. What was it that the people asked Moses for? What did they ask the Lord for? They asked the Lord to remove the serpents. But what does God do? Does he remove the serpents? He doesn't remove the serpents. Why? Why wouldn't God remove these instruments of death from these people? They've confessed their sin, they come to him, and they want them taken care of. Why doesn't God just take care of the problem? And the answer to that is because he is doing something far better than just removing these serpents. In verses 8 through 9, we read what God does for his people. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. God didn't take away the serpents. Instead, he provides them with a way of healing. And that way of healing was telling Moses to craft this bronze serpent, put it up in a pole, and if anyone is bit, just have them look at this serpent. They'll be okay. Trust me. This is what I'm telling you to do. And as Moses goes ahead and, and does that, you might be thinking, well, why didn't God just 
give me some magic potion that takes it away. Why didn't God just take these serpents away? But instead, he gives them a promise. Look and live. That's it? Just look to this statue and somehow live? Is there, there's got to be something else. There's got to be more to it. How can this statue save us? It doesn't make any sense. It defies reason. It defies science. It defies philosophy. It defies ordinary human experience. How can this serpent save us? The statue wasn't the one that was healing the people, but it was God who was healing his people. He promised to heal those who were bit by the snakes. And for all the ones who believed him to look at this serpent, they were saved. They were healed. These snakes served as a constant reminder to the people of their sin. These snakes served as a constant reminder to the people of their need of God. These snakes served as a constant reminder to the people of God's provision for them. Today we still look to a pole for healing. For it was on a pole that our healing was accomplished. As Jesus said in John 3, verse 14, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus hung on the cross not as a symbol, but as the Son of Man, the Lamb of God himself. And as we look to this symbol, to Christ on the cross, as we see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we see the wrath of God being poured out for sin. We see the consequences of sin, death, being doled out on Christ, our Savior, the one who had done nothing to deserve this. And as Christ bleeds out on the cross, the sin of the world is atoned for. God has done everything that is needed to give us life. God has done everything needed to heal us. He's provided a hope for us, healing, forgiveness, grace, salvation. If only we look to the Son on the cross and see what he has done. See, we either acknowledge our sin and we look to Christ on the cross for our forgiveness, or we don't and we remain in our sin. It's as simple as that. Now, you and I might not be bit by some venomous snakes, but we are still bit by the snakes of sin in our lives, aren't we? And for those who realize and recognize that they've been bit by the serpent and that the penalty, the consequence of that is death, Christ says, come to me, and I will forgive you. Christ says, look to me, I will forgive you. This is what I came to do. This morning, as we have the opportunity to celebrate communion, to again receive the forgiveness that Christ has accomplished for us. He invites all of those, not those who think that they don't need a Savior, not those who think that they're good enough in and of themselves, but for those who recognize, I've been bit by the serpent. I deserve death. Lord, I have sinned. Have mercy on me. Christ says, this is my body which is given for you. This is my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take this and live. And he opens it up for all who believe in him this morning. Christ says, look to me and live. And Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your provision in the past. 
for all the ways that you've met our needs physically, Lord, but spiritually first and foremost, for providing us our need of a Savior, for showing us, Father, that we have been bit by sin in our own lives and the consequence for that is death. Thank you for the forgiveness that Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. And Lord, thank you that you are willing to give that to us free of charge, that if we just look to you, we will live. Father, thank you for your promises you give us in Scripture. Thank you for the hope that you give us as well. Pray, Lord, that you would encourage us today as we leave this place to stand firm upon your word, to stand firm upon your promises, and, Lord, to leave this place forgiven, thankful and grateful for all the ways that you reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.